Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. We are in Philippians chapter 4. If you remember, uh, Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. Most people know that. About 61 or 60, uh, between 61 and 66 AD. Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. Paul's first encounter with the people of Philippi is found in Acts chapter 16, where Paul received a vision of a gentleman from Macedonia asking him to come over there. How many remember that vision? You've read that before. A man from Macedonia asked him to come over. Philippi was a foremost city in Macedonia. It is referred to as a colony. A colony was a Roman city for their war veterans. That's basically the Romans had uh, cities where they put their war veterans that were done fighting. Um, and, And Philippi was one of those. The people of Philippi were not Jews but Gentiles. The theme, of course, of Philippians is joy in the midst of every situation. Paul suffered imprisonment, yet he had joy. This joy is above and beyond what the world can have or understand. And we know this from the scriptures, uh, that the joy, how many realize it's joy from the spirit, not from your circumstance? Amen? Now, that doesn't mean we should constantly be expecting bad circumstances, It just means we don't derive our true joy from what's going on around us. You know, sometimes people are really happy when everything's going right, and then they claim they have depression when everything's going wrong. And I'm talking about believers specifically. And the reason why is not because, you know, they're just a terrible Christian in that sense. They probably don't realize they're supposed to draw their joy from within, not from without. Amen? And so uh, we're going to see this here more and more, um, and Paul's going to talk about joy, and you're going to have to deal with the issue of joy in your life probably tonight, okay? So just keep that in mind, because we, it takes, how many realize this? It actually takes faith to rejoice and have joy when nothing or seemingly nothing is going right. So if I want a muscle in my body to grow... I've got to work that muscle. If you want your faith to grow, you've got to work your faith. You know, sometimes people think, well, God said it, it's just going to happen. No, we know from the scriptures that the promises and the declarations of God didn't benefit the children of Israel because it wasn't what? Mixed with faith, okay? How many have ever uh, tried to bake a cake without eggs, Okay, or, or, or leave a very important ingredient out. It's the same in the scriptures. If you leave faith out, your cake's going to be flat or not turn out the way you want it to. Does that make sense? You've got to mix faith in there, and faith is a, is a vital, important thing, and faith does, isn't moved by what it sees. It's moved by what it, but by the person of faith is moved by what they believe, not what they see. Okay, verse one, it says this Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, my victory wreath, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So Paul starts out and he talks about uh, the people of Philippi and notice the terms he uses for them my beloved 
and longed for brethren. Paul really, you know, the love of God, he wrote this in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. And Paul is expressing God's love for the people of Philippi, this church that he planted as a minister or even as a disciple, one who's called and, and anointed or in the service of the king, you get if you do it right, you'll get so close to God, you'll begin to see people the way he does. Amen? And you, you'll quit looking at brother and sister so-and-so and going, it's brother and sister. You'll call them beloved instead of, oh, no, here they come. <laughs> you know? Instead of, oh, no, here they, it'll be, it, you'll, the closer you get to God, the more you will love. And people say, well, I've been, I've been, you know, in fellowship with the Lord for a long time, and you're meaner than you've ever been. You haven't been fellowshipping with the Lord. <laughs> He's not in a bad mood, amen? Okay? So he calls them beloved, my joy, my crown. And, um... He makes this very important statement in this verse, and, and, and in these services, in these Wednesday night teachings, it's verse by verse. And so uh, we're going to take it verse by verse. I may not comment on all the verse, but I will pull certain things out. He says this, so stand fast, where? In the Lord. So stand fast when everything's going just right. No, you stand fast in the Lord. So when everything's going right, you're in the Lord. And when everything has, when you have a challenge in this life, which you will, you stand fast where? In the Lord. So say this with me. I can stand fast in the Lord. The Lord has enough strength for you to get through and to maintain where you are. The Lord has enough strength for you to grow you beyond where you currently are. But we have to stand fast in Him, amen, and not let go and not give up. Stand fast means to persevere or to be stationary. That beats going backwards, doesn't it? This is the opposite of giving in to opposition. This is the opposite of giving in to opposition. Stand fast means to persevere or to be stationary. Notice that we are to stand stationary in the Lord. Whatever the Lord says to us, that is what we are to stand on like an old mule and not move. How many ever seen a picture of a mule or a donkey sitting in the road? How many have ever said, oh, they're like an old mule, they won't move? That's how you and I need to be on the promises of God. I'm not going to move. Well, you're just stubborn. No, I'm just standing fast. You can call it whatever you want, but I want to stand. How many know if you're going to be stubborn, this would, would be what to be stubborn about? Amen? Concerning your life, okay? So stand fast. Don't move. We are standing fast where? We're standing fast in our covenant. Our covenant with God through Christ Jesus is jam-packed with resurrection promises. These promises provide plenty of stable real estate for us to build a stable life upon. 
These promises that are in the covenant provide plenty. Do you know what I'm saying here? Plenty of stable what? Real estate. What's real estate? It's land, right? For us to build our lives upon. Let me prove it. Let's go over to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to go in my parallel Bible. Luke chapter 6. And you know where I'm going with this. Probably most of you do. But it's a good reminder. Luke chapter 6 and verse number 46 is where I want to go. Luke chapter 6 and verse number 46 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. So we're about to see what a person is like who comes to the Lord, hears what he says, and then does what he says. Okay? He is like a man building a house. So Jesus is now giving a a description to his words uh, that it's like real estate. It's like a plot of land where you'd build a house. Okay? His promises are. If you hear them and do them, this is what you're like. You're like someone who digs deep and lays the foundation on the rock. Do you see that? Lays the foundation where? Can I ask you something? What moves easier in a storm, sand or rock? Sand. You know, sometimes people are going, Lord, I know what your word says, but I keep getting blown over. And there's a missing ingredient in that statement in your understanding. The missing ingredient is what? You've got to actually do what you've heard. There's a solidification process that happens that produces a rock foundation in your life when you hear and do. It's it's like putting water in cement mix. What if you went to your friend's house and he said, man, i got to show you my foundation. I put up all the frames, i got everything in place, and you go out there and he's he's emptied all the bags of powdered cement into the frames. And he's even smoothed it off and, and got it all nice and neat. And it's a calm day, right? And you go up and look at it and you go, what are you doing? Well, I just put out, I'm going to build a house on this foundation. Would you warn him? You might want to add some water. Do you see what I'm saying? But see, as Christians, we got to watch out for this because I've done this in my own life. There are times where I'm like, why am I getting blown away in this? Why does this not feel firm? Why am I not stable? Why am I, why am I not standing fast? Something's not being mixed in. I never do this. God, why aren't you doing your word? <laughs> do you guys, did you get, have you alleviated that out of your... Okay, you should if you haven't with your conversation with him. I go to him and say, Lord, where am I missing it? Show me because I want to stand fast. I want to see the manifestation of your word. And God is so gracious. He's so good to us. He loves fellowship and relationship. He loves the inquiry of innocence and faith. He doesn't like accusatory questions. Have you ever noticed that? If you, if you don't believe me, just look at how John the Baptist was conceived and Jesus. Just think about this with me. After John the Baptist was conceived, an angel appeared to who? 
actually before he was conceived, an angel appeared to who? To his dad, right? John the Baptist's dad. John the Baptist's dad asked a question he shouldn't have. But it had to be, the motivation had to be the issue. Because Mary asked a similar question. And what did the father do, or what did the angel do, via the directive of the father, to John the Baptist's dad? He closed his mouth. He shut his mouth up. So we need to be, God's for in it. He loves the fellowship. He loves the, but he doesn't, I'm not saying he won't, he'll quit talking to you. It's not like he's, uh, you know, insecure and immature and he won't talk to you anymore. All I'm saying is very simply this. He's looking for us not to be accusatory in the sense of not realizing who we're talking to. But, what, but coming up to him reverently and saying, Lord, I'm not getting it on this. I know what your word says right here, and I know it's right. I know I should not have to put my house up every other storm. I, I know I should not have to be putting everything back together here every time this person comes around me. I just lose it. We're having a family reunion. You know, we're coming up on what? The Labor Day weekend, right? <laughs> you know? And people talk about family reunions, barbecues, whatever the case may be. Oh, no, so-and-so's here. <laughs> you've, got, you've got sand going on. Because the love of God, God doesn't go, oh, no, who's coming to talk to me? He doesn't ever do that. He's not that weak, you know what I mean? Amen? So we need to be aware, so we can stand fast. Are there any other scriptures that concern this? Uh, first, you can jot these down. Scriptures that use this phrase, stand fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. You can just listen to these. You don't have to turn to them. But if you want to jot them down, you can look at them later. It says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Stand fast in your liberty. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, we looked at this, verse 27, and it says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse number 8 says, For now we live if, we, if you stand fast in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse number 15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. I wonder if standing fast is a big deal. Stand fast, stand fast, stand fast. Hold your ground, don't move. Stick with the Lord, it always pays off, amen? All right, let's look at verse number two. We're going to see a fight in the church, in the Philippian church. How many know there's fights in churches sometimes? Oh, man. Yeah, Tom. <laughs> He's like, I know all too well. <laughs> okay? Paul says this, I implore. Now, I find it interesting. Paul just deals with a, a disagreement just straight out in the letter to these two women. And I'm going to try and pronounce their names the best I can, but it's just going to be the way I think. I'm not sure I, I know the original. But I am, he says, Paul says this, I implore Euodia... And I implore, implore Syntyche. Aren't you glad your name's not Syntyche? 
Okay, I always find these funny. Okay, to be of the same mind in the Lord. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So what do we see in this verse? The word same means to think like one person. To think like one person, same. Mind obviously means to set the affection or to be of one. Our mind is a house for what we set our affections on. Whatever we put into our mind in abundance will hold our affection. So uh, let's put these two, these two words together. And it, so it has to do with thinking as one person, having the same mind together. And whatever we're full of and whatever we put in us, that's the mind we'll have. So Paul's dealing with a particular situation between these two women, and he's telling them, stop thinking about whatever your opinion is and think in the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation with, a, with another believer, and this, this is what this is speaking about specifically. We'll get into this even more. This is going to be so great. It's going to tie right into Sunday. Oh, the Lord is so good to me. Because there's no way I think about this stuff ahead of time. I, I don't plot out. I'm not a plot out person like that anyway. He just makes it line up. He says, do this and do this. I'm like, okay. And then later on, I'm like, oh, yeah, I see how that went together, Lord. You're smart. <laughs> but have you ever had a disagreement with somebody and it's not a major issue, but you turn it into one? Have you ever argued with somebody that wasn't there in your mind. And you eviscerated them. <laughs> you took them out. I mean, you brought all the good points. Or maybe you're that person, like, you get in a conversation, you can't ever think of anything right then, but later on you're like, well, I should have said this. <laughs> I'm not that person. I'll think of it right then. <laughs> I have to practice not saying it. <laughs> okay. So when we are thinking like the Lord, from the definition of this, these two words, our, our, our affections will be full of Him. Does that make sense? When we are thinking like the Lord, our affections get filled with the way He is. Isn't that good? You know, people, are, people sometimes think, they think, well, I, I just, you know, Lord, make me more like you. The reality is you are made just like him. It's your mind that needs renewed to the reality of that fact. And then you need to do, as the scripture says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Amen? And so this is what Paul's actually telling these two women to do. When we are full of God, when we are full of Him, we do not have time to fight over petty things. We only have time to fulfill the kingdom mission. Isn't that good? So in this verse, we find Paul by the Holy Spirit dealing with a fight among some of the leaders in his group. This is at the Philippian church. As far as the historical evidence on what they were fighting about, I could not find anything. I looked. It's just not in there. And so there's, it could have been just fight. They could have been fighting about, you know, a doctrinal issue or something else. It could have just been an opinion on, you know, what color the carpet in the church should have been. You know, what color the pews should be. 
I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, you know, we're having uh, the, the coffee bar area out there is being built right now. He's, it's going to be installed and it's going to be really nice. And then we're having a welcome center being built as well, okay, out there. That's going to be, it's going to sit on wheels so we can get rid of our table and have that, you know. And we have this, this wood, this piece of alder wood. And uh, there are three different stains on it. And my wife keeps asking people their opinion. And they keep giving different opinions. I told her, I said, honey, just pick the one you like. And then plug your ears and go on. <laughs> because everybody's going to give a different opinion. You know, this is why we don't open up a suggestion box for paint colors. It will never happen. If you don't like the paint colors and you can't live with it, then you might have to find another place to go to church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because otherwise, it can go on and on. I, I mean, it, it gets ridiculous. You know? It gets ridiculous. No matter what the argument is about in this verse... Paul is telling them that they need to come together once again for the purpose of the kingdom of God. This can only be done one way, and we see it in the last phrase of this verse. Be of the same mind, where? In the Lord. What was the last phrase in verse 1? So stand fast in the Lord. The Lord is where we have our answer. Amen? That's where we get our answer. It's in the Lord that we get our answer. That's where we keep our minds steady. That's where we go, Lord, what's your perspective on this? You, you know, one of the things that will help you in this and, and, and is something that the Lord continues to grow me in, major on the majors and minor on the minors. You know what I mean? Major on the majors. Well, they took my parking spot. Minor. We don't have a lot of parking spots anyway. You know, I usually sit in that seat, minor, minor. The coffee's bad, minor, 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 minor. <laughs> Major, he says. <laughs> this can only be done one way, and we see it in the phrase, be of the same mind in the Lord. That's how we keep this. Fights in the body of Christ usually come about because believers' minds are not on the Lord and his purposes, but on natural, selfish desires. It's a very rare occurrence that God will split up believers. It's a rare occurrence. You're not going to find out. There are times for it. There are actually scriptures that you're supposed to kick people out or whatever, and time to split, but it is very rare. But we do. Even, even in America, we, it's this way. There's a lot of splitting over things that are just, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. The complete biblical library New Testament commentary on this verse says this. These ladies certainly did not live up to their names. <laughs> if you want to know what their names are, you're about to find out. Yodius, I hope I'm saying that. I'm probably not right, saying it right. But it means prosperous journey. And Syntyche means pleasant acquaintance. 
So we see here, Paul did not insist they think alike in everything, but that each had to the selfless attitude of Christ. Each would respect the other's viewpoint, and neither would be contentious. How many know that you're not going to have a pleasant acquaintance and a prosperous journey if you're fighting? <laughs> Amen? Andrew Womack said this, it is, it is noticeable that Paul told them to be of the same mind in the Lord. The only way we can ever come into true unity is to find our common ground in the Lord and fellowship in those areas. There will never be, nor was, there ever intended to be unity in every area of our lives. It just isn't going to happen. We have different customs, personalities, and so forth. Our unity has to be in the Lord. It has to be. The more our lives center around the Lord, the more unity we will have uh, with others who center on the Lord as well. For those of us who hold our lives dear and have not found the joy that Paul expressed when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, we will walk in very little unity. Our unity has to be in the Lord. It has to be in the Lord. So, major on the majors... Minor on the minors, amen? I know when I was first saved, um, and you go to Bible college, and you, you know, you, the things that I've, you know, I knew I was going into ministry, and so you want to know as much as you want to know, but the other side of it is, you know, Paul said, I'm set to the defense of the gospel. I used to argue about everything. Yeah, I know, it's hard to believe, because I'm set to the defense of the gospel, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm like... You know, I, I was like a, you know, you have a little bit of a religious Pharisee in you because you have zeal but very little knowledge. <laughs> and by knowledge, I mean, I do, it's not that I didn't read the Bible or didn't study or didn't go to school, none of that. I'm talking about like practical life knowledge where you actually know how to apply what you know. In I lacked wisdom is what it was. But the longer you go and, and, and the longer you walk with the Lord, you realize there's no point in addressing every little detail that is a misunderstanding, a misquote. You know what I mean? I used to go away from the service going, I can't believe he had Moses in the ark. Everybody knows Noah was in the ark, not Moses. And here I'm criticizing a preacher that's been in the ministry for 40 plus years. What do I know? Nothing. In other words, I'm minoring on a what? Minor, not a major. It's not worth splitting over. Amen? It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. All right, let's move on to verse number three. Verse number three, Paul says this, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. So what do we see right here? Now, uh, there's debate about who Paul's talking to, but many, many people believe he was talking to the, the pastor of that church. That's who the reference is to the true companion. But notice, notice what he says. He says what? He says, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In other words, what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey guys, why don't you help people get along instead of increasing division? Now, this true companion, 
And uh, one uh, minister put it this way. He believes is the pastor, and it falls to the pastor's job to deal with these situations if they get too, you know, too out of hand, which we're, we're glad to do. I'm glad to do it if it needs to be done because it stops a fight. It stops hurt. It stops the devil from coming into those two people's lives and messing them up. Amen? And when you really love someone, you're, you, you, you're going to be motivated to do the right thing in truth, even if you know it could not be received real well. Do you know some people don't confront in truth and love because they're more concerned about how they're going to feel if the person rejects them? Do you realize what that is? It's selfishness. It's not love. Now, I'm not, to, I'm not saying, I, we're not going to become the, you know, Christian police around here. You know what I mean? Every little thing. You know, major on the major, minor on the minors, right? But what is Paul saying in this verse? He's saying, hey, guys, pay attention. There's some division going on. How can we stop it? Have you, how many are reading through the Proverbs with us in, our, in your Bible reading? One of, the, one of my favorite Proverbs, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And if you read that scripture, if there's no gossip or no talebearer, it ends. So people say, well, how do I stop gossip? <laughs> no wood, no fire. You know what? I preached on this one a while back. I should break these out. I, they were youth sermons, you know. We did a purity weekend when I was a youth pastor. So we're going to have all these youth pure. We did, okay. So anyway, <laughs> this scripture, I had all the guys, Heidi took all the girls, right? Because I'm going to get after the guys and she's going to get after the girls. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, if a man goes after like a prostitute or uh, a sexual activity outside of marriage, it's like grabbing fire and putting it in your lap. That's a picture. Think about that next time that temptation comes. Can you imagine hot coals in your lap? Me and Ian, like, we, we have a fire pit, and so we like to start fires. In the pit, you know, it's all contained. <laughs> but sometimes that pine we get, that wood, and I just buy the, you know, some people are like, yeah, I go out in the wood and chop down. I go to the, uh, you know, Conoco, and I get that bag of wood. It's already dried out, already ready to go. Definitely my speed. Okay, so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to go get it. They put it right there. It's just sitting outside. I mean, I'm like, this is great, you know. But sometimes <laughs> we'll come in, and my wife's like, you smell like smoke. I got a couple of pieces of clothing with holes in them. And you say, what happened? Some of that pine will pop and snap and bark and bite. And, and so we got this thing going and pop, you know. And then you see all those coals just, you know, they're just little cinders. But they come flying up. But sometimes they get you. And it's just a little piece. And you're like, ah! you know, you're just, you know. One time, the first time, I got to tell this on Ian. The first time this thing's popping and he's, sitting, he's like, oh, there's one on my leg. And he's looking at it. He goes, oh, 
still a hole in those pants, of course. <laughs> That's what it's like to be in adultery and fornication. Only worse. It's like picking up those coals and just, you know. So people say, well, do you have, I feel condemned when people say that. No, no, no. You, you, you feel convicted. You just need to make another decision. Those verses are not God going, I hate you. I can't believe you did that. Those verses are God saying, hey, pay attention. This is going to harm you. Get a hold of it. I'm empowering you to do the right thing. The Lord would never reject any sinner. No matter If we have not gotten the picture of who God is through Jesus and the level of forgiveness that he'll give, it's because we're not paying attention. I mean, you think about how Jesus got into Samaria and opened up the message of the gospel to the Samaritans. He didn't go to the most righteous Pharisee. He met a lady at the well who had had five husbands, and the one she was living with wasn't her husband. I mean, I was pretty bad, but I never was married five times and divorced. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's not a, we're not competing, but God's making a point. He's saying, I'm after you. I love you. Amen. And I know it's a little bit of a side journey from where we're at, but the reality is, is that even as the body of Christ, we can stop strife. We can stop things from taking place that shouldn't end the body of Christ by simply being a true mature believer and shutting things off before they get, or doing as the apostle Paul says here, being a help to stopping strife, stopping division. Amen. And so, uh, it's something that we need to be aware of and we need to uh, be conscious of. All right, let's go to verse number four here. And we'll wrap up with this verse tonight. This is the one seat God's going to deal with us about rejoicing. Rejoice, verse four, rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. And then he says, again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice simply means to be glad. Notice that it is at all times in the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord some of the time. Always. Now, now <clears throat> I need to clarify this. That doesn't mean you're rejoicing in a trial because of a trial you're going through. You're rejoicing in the Lord because you know he's going to get you through the trial. Amen? So, so let's, not get our, let's not get religiously minded in, in a negative sense and think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm the Lord's martyr. I'm the Lord's Job. You ever heard that? Uh, they don't read the back of the, the rest of the, chat, the book. You know, I, everything goes wrong in my life. I must be the Lord's Job. Job was twice as rich and had twice as much by the time he was done. If you're the Lord's Job, you got a good thing coming. People go, oh, no, you, you get, and they just turn it into this, it's just complaining is all it is. Let's just be honest. Read James and you'll find out the purpose of Job. Amen. And the Lord's intent. If you read James, you'll find out the purpose of Job and the Lord's intent. But people ignore that too. Because we like self-pity. Our flesh does. Our flesh likes to be pet. You don't know how bad it is. It's so bad. You know? 
That's why, that, I mean, you say, are you sure? Just scroll Facebook. It's not rejoice in the Lord always. It's, guess what happened? It's, poor me. It's, nothing's right. It's not fair. Amen? Run this, uh, run this scripture through your uh, Facebook sometime and see whether you're doing it or not. Amen? The storms of life come and go. But despite our problems, rejoicing should come from our lips at all times. The voice of faith is our praise to the Lord. The voice of faith is our praise to the Lord. Here Paul emphatically tells the congregation to rejoice. In fact, he tells them twice. Just as praise is a choice, so the lifestyle of praise is also a choice. When the pressures of life come, it is a great temptation to forget the Christian life and all the forms of discipline that go along with it. Yet these disciplines are even more necessary in tough times. I have seen believers do this over and over again. They get in a difficult situation and they abandon what they were doing in pursuit of the Lord. And I will just say this, you're going to go deeper in the mire if you do that. That's what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to steal that word out of your life through persecutions and pressures. Don't give him that opportunity. Stand so st remember verse 1, so stand what? Fast in the Lord. Okay? So, when the pressures of life come, it is a great temptation to forget those things. Yet these disciplines are even more necessary in tough times. Paul has disciplined himself to rejoice always. He knows that praise becomes a guide in the storms of life. I like that statement. He knows that praise becomes a guide in the storms of life. It helped to keep his attention on the Lord and not on the circumstances. This rejoicing is not for the circumstances, but for the promises of God, which will strengthen us and will deliver us out of our circumstances. Our praise and rejoicing is for God's character for his faithfulness and dependability, which will never change. Our praise and rejoicing is for God's character, for his faithfulness and dependability, which will never change. The Life in the Spirit New Testament commentary says this, the apostle encourages the Philippians to keep on rejoicing. As well as being continuous, this joy is to be independent of the many circumstances that impact them. It is not a joy that surfaces only when situations are advantageous, but is to be manifested on all occasions, or the word always. Almost in response to an anticipated query, but what about this situation? Paul reiterates his words, I say again, Rejoice. Their response to whatever situations come their way is to be the same joy. The Philippians should have no trouble modeling this exhortation. It was Paul's own response when he met opposition to the gospel on his arrival in Philippi. When he and Silas were unjustly and illegally beaten and jailed by the Philippian magistrates, then responded by singing with joy in the confines of a prison. How many times do we do that? 
You know, your natural response to being wronged is to what? Retaliate. Your spiritual response to being wronged is, Lord, I just rejoice in you. I know you're faithful. Vengeance is yours. You take care of it. Amen? No, I'm going to hunt them down. You know, you're not Wyatt Earp. <laughs> you're not God's Wyatt Earp, okay? <laughs> you know? All right? So what do we need to do? We need to respond out of our spirit. How would our spirit respond? It, you can rejoice in the Lord. Why? He's your, he's your defender. He's faithful. He's your vengeance. Amen? He's all of those things. For Paul, joy was a key characteristic of the kingdom of God. We see this in Romans 14, 17. I'm not going to turn there right now. And also a fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. The Philippians should rejoice as they concern themselves with the situations that had impacted Paul and Epaphroditus. Of course, they're in prison. It was to be deeply, it was to be their response in the face of opposition. The reason why this should be their deeply settled response to these many adverse circumstances was that it was rooted in the one who does not change and who is sovereign over all human affairs. Their rejoicing was to be in the Lord. He was both the source of this joy and the object of it. He is both the source of the joy and the object of the joy. Okay? So sometimes people are like, well, I just don't have a reason to rejoice. Consider the source and consider what, you're, what you have in front of you as the object. Well, you know... Uh, it, these situations are, are bad in my life. The, the doctor's report is bad or the, the financial report is bad or, you know, I, I've had these, this same problem for, you know, 12 years, you know, or whatever it is. Okay, your rejoicing needs to be where, though? It needs to be, find its source in the Lord and my focus needs to be on the Lord because that's the object of my rejoicing. What happens when that takes place? Your faith is focused on your deliverance. So when Paul and Silas were beat, it wasn't right. Everything that they did to Paul and Silas, it was not right. What did they do? They rejoiced. Their faith then became focused on the Lord and what happened to the prison cell. Amen? And then what the enemy meant for evil, you know, you'll forget about being beat up if you lead people to the Lord. People sometimes think, oh, no, I, that would hurt really bad. I'm telling you, there is no high like leading somebody to Jesus. There isn't. You, you'll forget about everything going on in your world because the Lord just finds such, you just feel God and his heart when you lead somebody. How many have led somebody to the Lord before? Like, I mean, you just, you prayed the prayer of faith with them, the, the sinner's prayer, and you, man, you let them, it's like, wow, it's the greatest feeling of all, at least for me. And usually people that I know that lead people to the Lord, it's the same with them. Everyone wants to rejoice, and most people do rejoice at times. But Paul commanded us to rejoice in the Lord always. That seems unreasonable and impossible to most people. They think you can't always be rejoicing even through bad times. But the Lord would be unjust to command us to do something that is um, unobtainable. Rejoicing at all times is not only possible, 
it is preferable. It's true that we can't rejoice at all times if we are waiting for our circumstances to be good first. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise God with joy in the worship team when my mood changes. Your mood will change when you praise God with joy in the worship team. I'm telling you, this is faith. It is counter to the way the world operates. So when you get in the car in the morning, because a lot of times people are like, I don't want to do that. You know, you know, I'm not really not an extrovert. I don't, you know, I don't make loud noises. You do. We just got to find the thing that makes you go loud. You know, I've told the story about my brother-in-law. He's, you know, reserved and a, he's a teacher and he's a smart dude, very smart dude. He's a thinker, you know, all this stuff. And uh, the Lord got after him about getting excited The Lord kept telling him, get excited, you know. Then one day he was driving down in Tulsa at Ramah, and he came up over this uh, hill in the, high, in the highway, and there's this giant billboard that said, get excited. Because, you know, he's real reserved, you know, and I mean, he's not this way anymore. I mean, as much. He's learned how to get excited, you know, balance his personality out. And... uh I remember being around him one time, and we were, he's several, a few years younger than me, like six or seven years younger than me, and we were doing something. I found out what he gets excited about, Ohio State Buckeye football. Yeah, I know. I mean, it doesn't, college football means nothing to me, so I, I don't care one way or the other. I know there's the Michigan, you know, all that stuff. But I found out what he got excited about, because they, we were over at Terry and Susan's house this was years ago when Jake was like six or seven, their, their son, who's married and has a family now. But we're, we're over there, and he's got this game on, and it's the national championship. And Ohio State won. And I watched him jump out of his chair. Jump. This is Dan, you know. Mm, you know. Mm. Jump out of his chair. Grab Jake. Jake doesn't even know what a football is. Like, literally, he's the most non-sport kid. You know what I mean? He just didn't care about sports. <laughs> Grab Jake and start jumping up and down with Jake. You know, a six-year-old. And Jake's probably going, what? Well, what happened, you know? Because Ohio State won. So, do you have anything to rejoice about in your life? Well, God stretched out his arm and pulled Jesus up out of hell for you. Amen? If you can't get excited about that, something's wrong. I'm not saying you have to get excited the way everybody else does, but you can go ahead and get in your car tomorrow morning, shut the door, and while you're driving down the road, nobody else is around, you can just go, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. I just rejoice in you today. And then no matter what direction your day goes, at the end of the day, oh, ho, ho, thank you, Lord. Glory to God. I rejoice. Amen? And that will increase. It will strengthen. It will bring fervor. It will blow on the coals of your faith. It will light that, that flame back up inside of you if you feel like it's gone down a little bit. It's one thing I've noticed um, uh, in having the fire pit. I love the fire pit. In case you can't tell, it's fun. We like it. 
One thing I've noticed, I've had rain fall on that fire pit and those old coals are in there. You know how black they get? And I've just, I've just uh, taken, a, taken a, uh, the hatchet and pushed all, or a stick, and pushed all those mushy coals out. You know what I mean? Because you've got to get your paper down in there and you've got to have some dry so you can light that new wood. Do you know what I've noticed? I get that fire hot enough and those soggy coals dry out and they reignite. So sometimes people are like, I don't know, my relationship with the Lord is pretty soggy. <laughs> you just need to get around those of us that are real burning hot. And you just keep hanging out. And before you know it, you go, oh yeah, I remember that. And you'll start to light up in an area of your life. Amen? And it won't be long till some dry, crusty unbeliever comes along and they'll sit right next to you and before they know it, they're on fire. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.